0: Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, Lions. How are you? Oh, that's not bad. Good. It's good to see you this morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, I hope you're excited to be here as we continue to kind of learn and grow together in our faith this morning. Um, We've been kind of in the middle of this uh, series throughout the summer called Get Ready. We've been looking at the the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and talking about how we can apply the words of Paul to our lives as well. And so to kind of get us started this morning, I wanted to ask you a question, just to kind of get you to think a little bit today. Um, I know it's Sunday morning, and sometimes it takes us a little bit longer to get going, so let me try to get your brain moving a little bit. Ready? I want you to think about how you typically respond to a chaotic event. How do you typically respond whenever you find yourself surrounded by chaos? All right? Just think about it for a second. Now, some of you could probably, like, calmly say, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a rational person. I'm a calm person. I can, I can think through the situation and make good decisions and come out the other side and I'm fine. Um, but for the rest of us, for the rest of us, we don't always respond the way we'd want to whenever we face chaos, do we? There are lots of different ways that we respond. We respond by getting very emotional and we get very vocal whenever we're emotional. And we start saying things that we kind of look back at later and wish we hadn't said because the stress and the worry and the anxiety of the moment and the circumstances kind of gets the best of us. Some of us freeze. Like, we totally lock up. We don't know how to respond or how to react, and so we just totally freeze up, and we don't know what to do. Some of us panic. We, we run out of ideas, and so we start grasping at anything we can find that's going to help us kind of get through that situation. And usually whenever we do those things, whenever we freeze, whenever we panic, whenever we get overly emotional— We usually look back at those situations later and wish we had done some things differently. Because chaos can kind of bring out the worst in us sometimes. Whenever we feel stress and worry and anxiety, sometimes we don't react and respond the way that we want to. Let me give you an example. This past week, many of you know that this past week was 7-Eleven. So it was free Slurpee day at 7-Eleven. All right? Like many of you, I went to my local 7-Eleven to get my free small, wild cherry Slurpee, only to find out that every single Slurpee machine at my local 7-Eleven was down. And the line was literally out the door of the 7-Eleven. And the poor lady that was working at 7-Eleven is standing up in front of everybody, apologizing like crazy, saying it's going to be like 15 minutes before the Slurpee machines work again, and you could feel the tension building you could feel it. People were getting mad. People were getting upset. What do you mean the Slurpee machines don't work? This is the one day of the year they should work. Like, I mean, they were just getting all kinds of fired up. I ran. I left. I was scared. I I didn't want to wait 15 minutes. I was afraid of what might have taken place in that 7-Eleven, and I didn't want to be a witness on the news or anything like that, so I left. But like, when we get surrounded by chaos, when things go out of control, we react in ways that we wish we hadn't. It's easy to lose our focus and panic. It's easy. It's easy to let the moment get the best of us and lose our focus. We need something stable to hold on to. We need something firm to hold on to whenever we find ourselves in the middle of chaos. It's almost like you're drowning, right? It feels like we're drowning, and we need something that we can grab onto that's going to keep us safe and pull us out of that situation. Now, I was a kid that grew up in Pittsburgh in the 1980s, which means that Mr. Rogers was pretty much like a third parent to me in my house. All right. Mr. Rogers was from Pittsburgh. He filmed his show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, in Pittsburgh. He was like a local icon. Like everybody had a story about Mr. Rogers and all the amazing things that Mr. Rogers had done. And he was, he was an amazing human being. Apparently there's a new documentary that just came out. I heard it's fantastic about him. Like it's, it's, the man was just an amazing man. He taught many of us as children how to be kind and compassionate human beings, didn't he? And many of us grew up with Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers taught a lot of lessons. He taught a lot of, he told a lot of stories. And one story that he told that some of you may have heard before is there was a story that Mr. Rogers told about whenever he was a kid, And he was watching the news one day, and he was seeing some really tragic events happen on the news. And his mother taught him a lesson that day. A really important lesson that I think helps us learn how to deal with chaos and and tragedy and the things that are out of control in our world. And I actually found a quick, like, one-minute interview with Mr. Rogers where he tells that story. I wanted you to hear that story this morning, so let's go ahead and see that now. are in the middle of chaos in our lives whenever we feel like the world around us is falling apart just like mr rogers taught us a million lessons when we were kids we need to look for the helpers we need to look for the helpers and see where god is working and see where people are working and look for the things that we can hold on to that are firm and stable and can help us get through the most difficult times in our lives we need to look for the helpers and so as we talk about, sec- we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 today, and as we look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and as we look at these specific kind of situations and scenarios that we're going to talk about this morning, I want us to look for the helpers. I want us to look for the helpers, for the things that we can grab onto, the things that will give us hope, the things that will give us comfort, even in the midst of chaos. Like I said, we've been spending this summer studying First and Second Thessalonians, and, and Paul is writing these letters to this group of people, and he's trying to help them navigate a very chaotic world. The, the people in, 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 the, in this church, their world had been flipped upside down. Everything was different. Life was totally different than it was even just a, a year or so before that. And so he was trying to help them navigate this chaotic world. And if, there's major themes that Paul keeps going back to time and time again in First and Second Thessalonians. And one of those themes is the second coming of Jesus. Like, Paul talks about that more than just about anything else in the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And the Thessalonians want to know. They want to know. They want answers. They want details about when is Jesus going to come back? What's it going to look like? Who's going to be in charge? He, they wanted the who, what, when, where, and why of the second coming of Jesus. They wanted every detail they could possibly get. And Paul tries to help them by giving them as many details as he can. But here's the reality. The the reality of the second coming of Jesus is that there are a lot of layers to that story. There are a lot of layers to what's going to happen in the future. And we know some of those things, but there are other things that we just don't know. We don't know. And Paul is doing his best to give as much information as he can, but at the same time, I believe that Paul puts just as much emphasis, if not more, on how they as people are supposed to get ready for the second coming of Jesus. It's not just about the details, the dates, the times, the people, all that kind of stuff. It's about how they as followers of Jesus are supposed to be preparing themselves for the second coming of Christ. And so Paul spends a lot of time not just giving them answers to their questions, but talking about, okay, here's your answer, but here's how I want you to live in response to that. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning, too. I don't want us to get stuck in the details, because listen, we're going to read 12 verses this morning that are full of details, and it's probably, we could probably break this up into like five sermons instead of one, but we don't have time to kind of break down every single detail in these verses. But I hope that you get a chance to kind of investigate and dig a little deeper and follow along and, and open up your Bible this week and ask questions and dialogue with other believers about what these verses mean. We're only going to scratch the surface this morning, but I don't want us to get stuck on the details here in this room. I want us to talk about how it changes the way we live our lives whenever we leave this room. There are plenty of places, I hope you can go to a discussion group, a class, or something after we're done here this morning, where you can dig into this a little bit more. But this morning in here, I want us to talk about how this truth changes our lives. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. You can Follow along in your Bible, it'll be on the screen, follow along on your phone, however you want to do it. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is introducing us or talking about a character by the name of the man of lawlessness. That's a very kind of powerful title, isn't it? The man of lawlessness. Many times we don't call this person the man of lawlessness, we call them the Antichrist. This is a, the, the man of lawlessness is going to be a, a person that is going to have the power of Satan behind them to perform these amazing things that are going to deceive a lot of people. And there's a lot of fear, and, and, and when you read these verses, it's easy to kind of get your fear up and to be afraid of what might happen in the future, what's going to happen in the future, but I don't want us to get caught up in the fear. As we read through these verses, I want us to look for the helpers. I want us to look for the things that we can grab onto, the things that give us hope, and comfort in the midst of chaos. And so let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to, I want us to read the, I'm going to read through all of it, just so you get a, get a big picture of what's going on, and then we'll kind of dig a little deeper into some of the verses. But let's read through all of these verses, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly written from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction Because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them So god will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth It's a pretty intense passage, isn't it? There's a lot going on in these 12 verses And it's easy for us to get fearful and afraid as we look at verses like this, about this is what the world is going to look like in the future. But again, we can still find hope and comfort in the midst of that chaos. And that's what I want us to do this morning, is look for comfort in the chaos. And listen, the things, the principles we're going to talk about this morning, the ideas we're going to talk about this morning, don't just apply to someday in the future When all of this actually takes place, the principles that we're going to talk about this morning can also apply to our lives here and now. Because sometimes we go through seasons of chaos, don't we? Where the world around us feels like it's falling apart, where our lives feel like they're falling apart. And so these ideas, these principles can apply not just today, but also in the future. And so I want us to look at how we find comfort in chaos this morning. First thing is we find comfort in chaos when we aren't shaken, when we aren't shaken. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Remember, the Thessalonians wanted answers. They wanted every detail they could possibly get. And in their quest for answers, in their fear, in their worry, in their anxiety, they started listening to some shady sources of information. They started listening to some people that they probably shouldn't have been listening to. And some of them started to believe the lies. They started to believe the misinformation that was being given to them. These people that were giving this misinformation, all they were doing was feeding the chaos— building lie after lie after lie, and making it more chaotic, and more chaotic, and more chaotic. And what were they saying? They were basically saying, listen, Jesus already returned, and you missed it. You missed it. And they actually came up with their own sources to try to back up with what they were saying. They said, listen, we've had a vision. We've had a revelation. We have this letter that was a, like, fake letters that they would write from Paul to try to back up what the, the lies that they were feeding the people in, in the church in Thessalonica. And in their fear and in their worry, some of the Thessalonians begin to believe these lies. So Paul told them to not be shaken by these fake reports, to not be shaken by by this misinformation. They needed to find stability. They needed to find truth and sort out the truth from the lies. Listen, we live in a world full of misinformation, don't we? There are lots of things being thrown at us, lots of stories, lots of, uh, lots of different ways that we, be, that we are being communicated with, and we have to be able to sort through the truth and the lies as well. And just like the Thessalonians, we can let our fear and our worry and our anxiety get the best of us, and we can begin to believe some of the lies too. And so we have to protect ourselves and, and not allow ourselves to be shaken so that we can sort out the truth from the lies. We need to be able to, f- to find the difference between the truth and the lies. So how do we do that? How do we not be shaken? How do we not be shaken? I believe that we don't become shaken whenever we test the things that are trying to shake us. Whenever we test the things that are trying to shake us. If you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as Paul is wrapping up his first letter to the Thessalonians, he says this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, test everything test everything then he goes on he says hold on to what is good flee from evil test everything hold on to what is good flee from evil if we are not going to be shaken we need to test the things that are trying to shake us we need to ask ourselves is this true And I believe one of the best ways that we can test everything that is being thrown our way is to look at it through the lens of Scripture, to look at it through the lens of the Word of God. And as we look at these things, as we investigate, as we dig deeper, as we ask questions, we ask ourselves, is this true? Is this biblical? Is this godly? Is this what God wants for me? And we test everything. And then we can hold on to what is good and we can flee from evil. So we need to test everything that is true. Now listen, that, this idea doesn't just apply to like biblical, like theological ideas. It also applies to our everyday lives. We need to ask ourselves the question, is this true? So the next time we're tempted to tell that story about somebody else to somebody that we know, we need to ask ourselves, is this true? Here's one. The next time before you share that Facebook post, maybe we need to ask ourselves, is this true? The next time we begin to become afraid by something we've heard or something we've been told by somebody else, we need to ask ourselves, is this true? We need to test everything, hold on to what is good, and flee from evil. And when we aren't shaken, we can find comfort even in the most chaotic times even when all the, everything else around us is falling apart, we can still find comfort in the chaos whenever we aren't shaken. Next, in order for us to find comfort in the chaos, and this is, this might sound a little weird, but just go with me here for a minute, we need to understand that things will get worse before they get better. We need to understand that things will get worse before they get better. Look at verse 3 again. Paul says this, don't be fooled by what they say. He's talking about these false teachers. He says, don't be fooled by what they say. For, the, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. So Paul says, hey, good news. Jesus hasn't come back yet. And you know how I know that Jesus hasn't come back yet? Because things are going to get a lot worse before Jesus comes back. And so it doesn't sound extremely comforting, does it? It doesn't sound like Good news. But the truth of the matter is that we can hold on to, we can find hope, we can cling to the fact that Jesus is coming back, that the day of the Lord is going to happen. And no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we can hold on to that hope. We can hold on to that hope. So as we watch the world around us fall apart, as we watch things happen that we don't agree with or that we don't understand or that we don't want to see happen, we, we, it's easy for us to get overwhelmed, but we can't get overwhelmed. We keep looking forward to the hope that Jesus is coming back. Listen, the easy thing to do, the easy thing to do would be to just be go run and hide until Jesus comes back. To say, hey, listen, I know, okay, good, things are going to get worse before they get better. Then I'm going to go hide somewhere and wait for Jesus to come back. But the reality is that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have a job to do. We have a job to do. Knowing that Jesus is going to come back should motivate us. It should motivate us to want to share the story of hope, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus with the world around us, to give them the same hope that we have. Knowing that Jesus is going to come back should motivate us to love each other more and to love each other better. Knowing that Jesus is coming back should give us hope. It should give us comfort, even if the world around us is falling apart. So we can find comfort, we can find hope, knowing that Jesus is going to return. Next, we can find comfort in chaos when we know that Jesus will overcome evil. When we know that Jesus will overcome evil. Look at verse 8 again. In verse 8, Paul says this, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. See, we don't have to be shaken. We can focus on the fact that Jesus is going to return because we know that Jesus can and will destroy evil. He can and will overcome evil. Paul knows that things aren't great, but he also knows that it won't last forever. He looks forward to the day when Jesus will overcome evil. The other really cool, important part of this verse that I think we need to recognize is the sheer power of Jesus. How does Paul describe how Jesus is going to defeat the man of lawlessness? This this antichrist, this very powerful, very deceptive world leader that is just going to have all these people deceived. How is Jesus going to defeat him? With his breath. That's all it will take is his breath. That's how powerful Jesus is. The the splendor of his coming will destroy the Antichrist. His breath will overcome evil. The mere words, the mere breath of Jesus can and will destroy evil. That should give us hope. That should give us comfort in the middle of our chaos. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is greater than anything we face the truth for us, though, is that sometimes we let our fear, we let the things that scare us become more powerful in our minds, don't we? We, we allow those things to grow and become more powerful than they really are. And that's when it gets dangerous. That's when it, becomes, when it becomes harder for us to believe and find comfort in the fact that Jesus is stronger, that Jesus is greater. Let me give you an example. Some of you in this room are... Deathly afraid of spiders. You are deathly afraid. Is anybody here deathly afraid of spiders? Oh, yeah, we got it. Good, we got some. Good. Some of you are deathly afraid of spiders. I live with some people who are deathly afraid of spiders. I, I mean, and what happens when those people see a spider? It is a blood-curdling, like, tingling scream that comes from another room. I mean, it is un- like somebody is trying to kill them in the other room. The people that I live with are so afraid of spiders that, well, I probably shouldn't tell the story, but my wife is out of town, so it's fair game. So here we go. (laughs) One day, my wife and kids come home from school, and I'm not home yet, and they're walking up to the front door, and there is a spider sitting right in front of the front door. Now, if you hear Christine describe it, that spider was the size of a beach ball, which it wasn't. But my wife was so afraid That she would not enter the house because the spider was in front of the front door. She sent my daughter across the street to get a neighbor to come over and kill the spider so that they could go in the house. I mean, that's messed up. I mean, come on. That's how afraid of spiders the people that I live with are. They can't even enter their own home if there's a spider sitting outside the home. But they, in their minds, in some of your minds, the things that you're afraid of grow and grow and grow and grow, and your fear allows those things in your mind to become more powerful than Jesus. To become more powerful than the things that you find that that give us hope and give us peace. Try to, listen, for those of you that are scared of spiders, listen, try to think rationally, and I know you can't, but just try. Try to think rationally about this. You are more powerful than that spider. You are. You are more powerful than that spider. Do you know what it would take? Do you know what it would take for you to end that spider's life? One step will end that spider's life. You are more powerful than that spider, but you don't believe that you are. Why? Because your fear has gotten the best of you. Your fear has allowed that spider to grow into this killing machine that has been hired to kill you and your family. You are more powerful than that spider. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, in your life, Jesus is more powerful. The things that you're anxious about, Jesus is more powerful. The things that you worry about, Jesus is more powerful. The things that you're afraid of, Jesus is more powerful. Every time, Jesus is more powerful. We can't let our fear Build a lie in our minds that the things that scare us are more powerful than Jesus. Jesus is always more powerful. His breath, his breath will destroy evil. How much more powerful is Jesus than the things that we face in our lives? And so we can find comfort, we can find hope in the fact that Jesus can and will overcome evil. We can't let our fear get the best of us. And then finally, we can find comfort and hope whenever we choose the right path. We can find comfort and hope whenever we choose the right path. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. Paul says this. He's talking about the Antichrist. He's talking about the man of lawlessness. He says, he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. In verse 10, Paul is talking about a very specific group of people. He says that there are a group of people who will choose the path of the Antichrist versus the path of Jesus. And they're doing this knowingly. They're doing this willingly. They are choosing. Because what does verse 10 say? Or maybe verse 11. It says, they refuse to love and accept the truth that will save them. They refuse. They have knowingly and willingly chosen the path of the man of lawlessness. And since they've done that, God isn't going to stop them. And so God allows them to be deceived. God allows them to pay the consequences for their actions, for their decisions. And I know that sounds harsh, but God isn't going to stop us from making the decisions that we make. But God is also going to ask that we pay that we're willing to pay the consequences for the choices in the paths that we choose. We all throughout our lives have to find pla- we're all gonna find places where we have to choose a path. The the number one place that we choose a path is when we come to the point where we ask ourselves: do we trust who Jesus says he is? And many of you have chosen that path. You've chosen the path of Jesus. You've chosen to trust him, to put your faith in him, to try to, to try your very best the power of the Holy Spirit to follow Him every day of your life. But even when you're on that path, there are going to be detours. There are going to be questions. There are going to be temptations. There are going to be things that come up. And we have to make a decision whether or not we're going to choose the path of Jesus or choose our own path. And when we choose our own path, we have to be willing to pay the consequences for our actions. We have to be willing to, to, to pay the price for the things that we decide. But we can find comfort in chaos. We can find hope in chaos when we choose the path of Jesus. Because when we choose the path of Jesus, we find ourselves right where we need to be. That doesn't mean life is going to be exactly the way we thought it was going to be. It doesn't mean life is always going to work out exactly the way we want it to. But it means we're going to be exactly where we need to be. When we choose to trust and accept the truth that can save us, that's exactly what Jesus will do. He will save us. He will save us. But we all have that decision to make. Many of you have made that decision. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe some of you haven't. You're still wondering what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. You still wonder about what, it, what does this really mean to be a Christian, to, to be somebody who says they follow Jesus. If that's you, man, I would really encourage you to talk to somebody. Talk to me, talk to Ron, talk to Jason. There'll be people that will be down front here when we're done. Talk to them. Talk to the person that invited you here. Because we all have that decision to make. And some of you, you might be in a season of chaos right now. And you're standing at a fork in the road. And it's time to make a choice. To choose the path of Jesus or to choose my own path. We can find hope and comfort when we choose the path of Jesus. Listen, this is a really heavy passage of scripture. I get that. And this morning, we just barely scratched the surface. This is like, you could go through these 12 verses, and there are like theological debates about every single verse in, this, in these 12 verses. About certain things like, who is the one that's holding back the Antichrist? and who, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in here. And I want us to take the time to investigate investigate those things. I want you to take the time to put in the, the personal effort to investigate those things. But I also want us to ask the question, what am I doing? What are you doing? What are we doing to get ready for the second coming of Jesus? What are we doing about the way we live our lives today to get ready for when Jesus returns? and some of you right now are in the middle of chaos. You are. You feel like the world is falling apart around you. You feel like nothing is working out the way you want it to. Nothing is happening the way you thought it was going to happen. You could find comfort in that chaos today and in the future. We can find comfort when when we aren't shaken, when we test everything, We can find comfort when we understand that, yes, things are going to get worse before they get better, but Jesus is coming back. We can find comfort in our chaos when we know that Jesus is more powerful. Jesus is more powerful. And we can find comfort in our chaos when we choose the right path, when we choose the path of Jesus. Because it's there, when we're on that path, that that's exactly where we need to be. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray that God would help us this week to live our lives, to prepare us more to get ready for when his son returns. Not just for a day in the future, but for how we live our lives, for the way we share and live our lives in the world around us this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can turn to you, that we can come to you, no matter what circumstance we find our life in, no matter what condition we The world around us is in, that you are always accessible to us. Thank you for that gift, God. Thank you that you are a God that cares and loves us, even when we don't feel it, that you're there. God, I thank you that you are a God that that provides us comfort in the midst of our chaos. So God, as we live our lives this week, may we do that in response to what you have already done for us because you are so good to us, because you care about us, because you love us. God, may we find comfort in our chaos this week because of you and because of your son. In your name, amen.